0: Welcome to a new episode of the More Than Books podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and I'm back. Today I'm joined by Colin, and we're going to be talking about infinite content. That's a phrase I stole from Arcade Fire. They're releasing a new album. I'm very excited about it. I believe that is a song on the album and also the name of their tour. So by infinite content, what what do you think we mean by that, Colin?
1: Boy, I think that that just means the incredible wealth of entertainment and information that is out there on the internet that it is our job to sift through if we want to participate in the world of the internet in any meaningful way.
0: And there is infinite content at this point. I I feel like every week there's 50 new noteworthy records that come out, a dozen movies, new things popping up on Netflix, new things to sift through, new things to uh to entertain ourselves with, to while away our idle time and there's not enough time in the world to absorb any of it or well, most of it.
1: You mentioned that like 50 albums drop on a regular basis.
0: And that's just from like major record labels. Like I'm not counting yeah. indies, I'm not counting self-publishing online. I know with like SoundCloud and Bandcamp there's
1: it's intense. Who even
0: knows, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm the kind of person who really likes to keep on top of new music, and I kind of pride myself on it. And I listen to usually between three to 400 new albums that come out in a year, and I'm barely scratching the surface even with that. It's a nightmare for someone who <laughs> loves music. And that's just music, you know, never mind books, films... Podcasts.
0: oh gosh yes (laughs) yeah we're just putting this out there to join the uh the ranks of all the thousands of other podcasts that may have found an audience may never find an audience we're we're adding to the content out there this is
1: another another thing for someone to consume yeah really we're making things worse we're not (laughs) helping anyone at all with this but we're going to try to offer some advice or if not advice some words of comfort
0: well, this is the human condition, isn't it? Like, we, we want to create something and we want people to, to enjoy it. I think that it comes with, with
1: being human. When I was preparing for this podcast, I read that every minute YouTube users upload 72 hours of video, which is just a staggering amount.
0: Yeah, I bet three-quarters of the videos on YouTube never get a single view or may get a single view from the person that uploads it. The person who uploaded it. it, Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, YouTube has become a phenomenon in that people are making millions of dollars every year. Basically broadcast your entire life online. It's almost like a weird reality show in a way. But uh, just broadcasting yourself, playing video games, and people watch it because that's entertainment now and honestly i'll say i I get into that sometimes i watch i watch let's plays of of people playing video games a lot of times to see if i either want to buy a video game or if it's a game that i know i'm never going to purchase i can still enjoy the plot or story and you know you get to know the personalities playing it and it's entertaining
1: yeah i'm kind of guilty of doing the same thing i think maybe at this point i've realized that i do it less for the games and more for the personalities playing the games and it's a hard thing to try to describe to someone because of course this is such a new kind of phenomenon. How do you explain what you're watching to someone who's really only familiar with like TV and like maybe Netflix? Hey, I'm here watching either pre-recorded video of someone playing a video game and commentating over the top of it or I'm watching them do that live um, the best, is... uh,
0: the best thing I can think of to to compare it to is listening to talk radio in a way, uh, sure. not necessarily like as as just entertainment. It may it's a new show every time that's basically made up on the spot, very improvised, very conversational. You find someone that you enjoy listening to and. That makes it more entertaining than just watching. It's almost like hanging out with your friends and playing a video game, too, in a weird way. Like, you know, growing up, um, I remember going over friends' houses and just we would trade the controller off and on and, (laughs) you know, wait till someone dies and then take over. Or when it comes to longer, like role playing games you know sit and watch for hours i mean i may never get a play but it's
1: still entertaining my friend and i did that when final fantasy 7 came out, (laughs) and i think 1997 we stayed up for 24 hours to play that game yep and that was probably the best 24 hours of my life
0: (laughs) Um, well that game was fantastic i did do that with my cousin growing up i remember that that spurred me to get my uh my playstation (laughs)
1: Exactly. No, I loved doing stuff like that. I think that's what it is, is as adults, you can't do that stuff anymore. So this has become kind of like a surrogate for doing that.
0: Yeah, we may not have time for for video games. Um, I wish. Yeah, I mean, I I play a few hours a week, maybe, at most. used to play a lot longer, but, uh, you know, listening to these um, Let's Plays or podcasts or twitch stream shows and i we talked jake and i talked about twitch in the last episode a little bit when we were talking about esports but it's it goes along with that phenomenon a little bit yeah it's it's very much you get to know a person and in a weird way you feel like you know them even though you don't like they're they're a person that may have thousands of subscribers or followers online and you know they build a fan base and they make a living at this it's it's a brave new world
1: (laughs) And some of them are teaming up in interesting ways, too. Now it's no longer you're just, like, watching a single person doing something, but you might have almost a like an ensemble cast of people streaming something. One of my favorite kind of new media formats that's basically replaced television 100% for me is um, watching people play Dungeons & Dragons online with one another. Because then you're entering into kind of like improvised theater, and um, it's fascinating.
0: And there's a whole uh, like subgenre of TV shows that've been been doing that lately too.
1: Dan Harmon,
0: who was the guy that made Community and has a podcast called Harmon Town, made a show called Harmon Quest, where it's basically him and his friends sitting around playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And I know that I think I've seen Will Wheaton has a show. Um, um, yes.
1: And he's got that tabletop show as well, which is basically the same thing, but instead of role-playing, they're just playing board games with one another, which is a weird thing. I mean, as someone who loves both video games and board games, I never thought that as I got older and ran out of time to do either, that I would kind of fill that time by just watching and enjoying watching other people play them. But um, you're right, it is. It's kind of like a reality TV slash talk show situation, and I think that's why we get so much entertainment from it.
0: One of my favorite YouTube groups, a channel called Red Letter Media, review <laughs> movies in ridiculous fashion. Spectacular they also, fashion. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they also act out little skits in between their reviews, and they have a lot of like different shows, but it's all, it's all the same guys, uh, basically. Um, They come in and do their movie reviews. They have one show called Review, where they review old movies that uh, were pretty popular or that they have a particular fondness for and explain what they liked about it. Uh, They have another show called Best of the Worst, where they watch really, really bad old B-movies and basically rate which one they thought was the, the best of the worst and be surprised how much entertainment you can get out of something like that as, as, a, as a connoisseur of terrible 80s and 70s B-movies.
1: Well, what it is is it reminds me a lot of being a kid and watching Roger Ebert's At The Movies. It's like that, but it's for a new age. And they can get away with more because it's <laughs> on YouTube, it's not on network television. Yeah,
0: there's there's no censors. There's, I mean, and it... <laughs> <laughs> they they can, uh, you know, rest assured, they can be a little profane sometimes, but that's part of the fun. It you know. is part of the fun. Just don't watch it at work, is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, but there's so many, and these are just people that just end up doing this themselves. They have no, no corporate sponsorship. They're just friends that, like, are, you know, I think originally just started getting together and made a show and suddenly they can make a living at it. They're making enough money through either Patreon or donations or um, Kickstarter. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Really amazing how much money some of these people can make. Like, there's legitimate careers in being a YouTube personality.
1: And that's what's so great about all this new media is you have these very independent companies or just groups of people putting out high-quality content right alongside content that's being put out by... I don't want to say legitimate companies, but by companies with a lot of financial backing.
0: Kind of an interesting uh, thought experiment for, well, I guess people that work in libraries, people that are interested in libraries, is like, what is the gatekeeper for all this information? How can this information be organized and found easily? As a librarian, it almost feels like an almost impossible job to to organize and catalog all that all that information
1: out there. It is. Yeah, I was stunned when Library of Congress announced that they were going to start keeping a back catalog of all of the... Um,
0: the kind of archived Twitter? Yeah, archived
1: uh, Twitter. I don't know what the status on that project is. What yeah, job.
0: I think that that, had, uh, that never actually materialized happened. in a meaningful way because yeah. it, it ended up being way too big a, uh, a task it looks like it kind of stalled out in 2016. So last year, a little oh, bit
1: Well, it lasted longer than yeah, I thought it would,
0: but I mean, that's, that's something where the uh, internet archive is a great resource because they're using bots and, you know, mm-hmm. we, we had an episode on the internet archive. Uh, they're, Doing the best they can to archive the internet, which is is in and of itself almost an impossible task, uh, just because it's constantly changing.
1: Even when they archive a site, you know, links still get broken, uh, images, get, images broken. get broken, sound files get broken. So you might just be stuck with some of the text.
0: If you wanna wanna learn more about it, we did have that episode on it. I don't even remember when, but uh we It was a little while. Take ago. a look at our at our archive and <laughs> Yeah. And it should be noted, you know, we've mentioned this before, but this podcast is actually hosted on uh on the Internet Archive. Because of this basically infinite amount of content out there What are the best ways to find things that you like? Like, how do you (laughs) sift through everything to find that thing that you want to listen to or want to watch? How do you find what you like?
1: I feel like there was a time where I could kind of, like, do everything. Where I could listen to music and read books and watch movies and watch TV and play video games. I could do all of that, and I could budget the time to do all of that. You just can't do that anymore I feel like I've had to kind of cut back on my media consumption and really just hone in on the things that I like. And a lot of that, for me personally, has to do with finding media critics whose opinions I trust or at least respect. Joel mentioned red-letter media, and I think those are, as silly as they are, they are good critics, um, especially when it comes to like sci-fi and fantasy and horror and B-movies. It's, it's about finding someone like that and um, seeking out things that they have reviewed and using that as kind of a jumping off point for figuring out what is out there that you might be keen on spending some of your precious time with.
0: <laughs> yeah, I tend to do a multi-pronged approach to, to trying to track down things that I want to watch or read or listen to. I mean, I use sites like Goodreads. Um, I mean, and that's all community supported, so it's all like social reviews um, of books. I mean, if you haven't used it, it's owned by Amazon, so they. It's very much a marketing tool for for Amazon, yeah. uh, for selling books, but uh, it, it's useful, and um, you can get community reviews of items. You can kind of keep track on authors and new releases. It's a good way to see like if you like a certain author or style or book to see other authors or styles or books and i think that creators themselves are often great gatekeepers to finding other other similar artists um, i follow one author uh, robert brockway he uh, he writes for cracked.com um, and he's written three or four books that i've enjoyed but uh, the other day, he was tweeting out some of his own personal reviews of uh, books that he had read recently, mm. and I ended up buying three books off, uh, off Amazon, just based off of some of those reviews. i got to find the time to read them still, but <laughs> I, that's the kind of thing that, like, oh, that sounds interesting. I would never have heard of it unless this, other, this author hadn't have mentioned it on Twitter, so I went, uh, went and looked it up on Amazon and kind of read about the book, and, you know, the description sounded up my alley. A lot of uh, a lot of genre fiction, horror, and sci-fi. When it comes to literary fiction, um, I don't read as much of that uh, highbrow stuff anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I have just found with regards to reading that there's still you know so many centuries of classic material that I have yet to read that I'm kind of stuck in the past <laughs> and probably will be for the rest of my life. But you're always playing catch-up, right? Like, always playing catch-up. Yeah.
0: yeah, I go through phases. Uh, a lot of times, I'll read quick and easy quick and dirty genre reads um, and then I'll switch to something heavier
1: (laughs) I need to get back to doing that because I have just been mired in the medieval and renaissance ages for the last two years worth of reading and I probably need to like sprinkle in some graphic novels or something. In
0: there. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I generally always have a graphic novel going at the same time as as something else also.
1: <laughs> yeah, but Joel Joel does yeah. make good points there. I don't actually use Twitter as a platform to communicate myself, but I do use it as a platform to follow creators and other people whom I like, and oftentimes that is a pretty good way to get recommendations. Goodreads is a tool that I have used before in the past and enjoyed, but it became dangerous for me because my to-read list got too long, so I kind of stepped away from Goodreads for a little bit. Mm-hmm. A site that's very similar that I use for music is raytiermusic.com, um where it's all user reviews, it's all genre tagged, and it is a fantastic place for discovering new music and old music. Those are probably the three big things for me. Find critics who have opinions that matter. Follow content creators that you like and see what they like. And find a good user review congregation, (laughs) that's probably a better word, website. Of course, there you kind of run the risk of just only discovering what's popular. But usually if you do a little bit of digging, you'll get to the really good stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah, when it comes to music, too, I'll often, I, I tend to know, you know, some of my favorite bands, uh, I'll, I'll look at their record label and see what else that label is putting out. I find that's a really good way to find other things that you may not have heard of, but uh, if if a record label is pushing one artist and they're pushing another one, that might be you know, you, you may end up really liking them. So I like sub pop a lot. So every time they release something, I tend to check it out just to kind of see what it is, even if I haven't heard of the band. Same with Saddle Creek Records, since that's a local Omaha uh, record label. And some of my favorite bands growing up were on that label. Um, so I still tend to follow them and see what they're releasing, even if it's not what I, you know, the kind of stuff I used to listen to. They still have a lot of really good, uh, really good artists.
1: Yeah, and there's all sorts of little connections like that you can make. Um, with music, the things that I look for are producers. So if there's a producer who consistently does a good job, and I see that they've got you know a few new projects coming out this year, I'll go listen to those new projects that they've got coming out this year and see if I enjoy them as well. And funnily enough, the other thing I found is if I find a— and this is so weird because it's not really connected to the music itself— but if I find an artist who did the record sleeve cover for a particular album that I really enjoy and I look up that artist and see what other albums they have um, done the record sleeve covers for, I found a lot of great music that way.
0: That's interesting. That's not one I would have uh, would have thought of immediately. Yeah.
1: It's <laughs> it's not a it's not the most reasonable approach to finding the yeah. music cuz obviously the arts has little, you know, or nothing to do with the music necessarily, but um, you find that a good artist uh, usually has some standards. I could see the
0: connection, too, though, where if if a, a musical group asks a particular artist to make their record, yes. and then another group really likes their exactly. that record and likes that artist, happens. there is a connection there. Yeah. They may hire the same artist.
1: It is an interesting way yeah. um, to approach finding music. And I've, I've even done the same thing to a lesser degree with... Um, movie poster designs that I've liked <laughs> and even um, there's it's so book sad designs that I like
0: movie posters now are so sad a lot of the time though they just tend to do the <laughs> they the, are the photoshop montage of character faces and that's yeah, it like, they are really
1: bad <laughs> the um
0: when you get a really cool one it's exciting but it stands uh, out yeah since they stopped doing a lot of actually like, drawing the posters which doesn't happen quite as often anymore um Most of it is like photograph montages
1: and. Yeah, I I think the last, and I haven't actually even seen the movie, um, the last really cool movie poster I saw was for Alien Covenant. I thought that had a really striking looking poster. It looked like, you know, a Renaissance painting of hell or something. It was beautiful. Um, The last really bad one I saw was, I think, for one of the more recent Star Wars movies. (laughs) There was a line of stormtroopers. And they had obviously just mirrored them going across the bottom on the horizontal axis. Gosh. So, like, the third from the left looked exactly the same as the third from the right. They were just facing one another. It was really
0: quite sad. I think the one of the posters for Spider-Man Homecoming, which I actually saw this weekend and really like, so that's, that's a... See it if you haven't seen it. Oh, yeah, it. it was a good movie. Yeah, but uh, the poster was terrible. Um, it was one of those standard Marvel posters of all the characters' faces. But then you have, like... You have Robert Downey Jr. down at the bottom, but then you also have Iron Man, like, flying across at the top. It's like, so that same character is on there twice, technically. Yeah. I mean,
1: And they're, like, all different sizes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're all different sizes, and everything is orange and blue. (laughs) The color grading of all modern movies. There's always
1: sparks (laughs) flying, usually. Good movie, though. Good Um, movie. Go see it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but uh, every every week, the new movies come out, the new albums come out. I tend to check websites like Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes and kind of see the general critical reception, and I know that can be a terrible gauge mm. um, on things sometimes.
1: <laughs> You've got to start somewhere, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do really dislike Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, but I still have them bookmarked because <laughs> it's a starting point, yeah. at the very least.
0: Reading more than one review of something helps. Um, you can kind of see what the uh, the critics... What they like and don't like. And, you know, I, I know what I like and I know what I don't like. And if I, I've, I've read some negative reviews that made me want to see the movie more than a positive review. Yes.
1: Nope, me too. So Part of the problem, and this kind of connects back to our topic in an interesting way... That I have with Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic... Is a lot of these new media critics don't get their opinions reflected on these sites. So, for example, you won't see um, a quote from Red Letter Media on Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic. My favorite uh, music reviewer, um, a guy by the name of Anthony Fantano, who does music video reviews where he reviews albums on YouTube, doesn't get his opinions registered on that site either. Yet, I feel like he's probably the best current music critic.
0: And yeah, finding these finding these critics can often be difficult. <laughs> yes, it finding can the be. people you trust. I mean, I I've read some some music blogs and things like that trying to trying to figure it out. You know, everybody everybody's taste is so subjective, but uh, the nice thing about reading the same critic over and over is you understand their style, like I mentioned. Like you understand what you you understand why they're giving something the rating they are.
1: Right. And it gets to the better. point where even yeah. if you very much disagree with them, you can still gauge um, how much you might like something based on the way that they approached it and wrote about it or talked about it.
0: Another good use for Metacritic, at least in my, my experience, is just seeing what the upcoming release schedule is. Because mm-hmm. there's so many bands that I like or that I've heard of that um, I didn't even realize they had an album coming out. And that's, I, I kind of check it every week to kind of see what's coming up. I know it doesn't have a comprehensive list of all the new releases, but it has a pretty good list, usually. I also have a a subscription to Google Play Music. Those types of uh, services, Google Play Music, Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, um, they can be overwhelming in and of themselves sometimes because you have access to so much music. But they have a new releases section that I check out every Friday because Friday is now the new music day. It's interesting that they switched that from Tuesday. It wasn't. It was just Tuesday not that long ago, right? Like right. a year or two ago. Yeah. Now it's Friday. Now it's Friday. But uh, yeah, I, I check that every Friday and kind of see what Google's suggesting. I feel like it's almost creepy. Google has a pretty good, uh, pretty good profile of me. They they kind of know what I like. Uh, <laughs> It's amazing how much data we give these uh, these faceless corporations. You know, I guess I get something out of it.
1: Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't actually... I, I don't subscribe to any of those music streaming services. I do use Spotify with the ads on occasion. I'm a little old-fashioned. I like to still physically own music, if at all possible. And sometimes it's really hard to physically own certain albums. <laughs> um, so if I really want to listen to something or just return to something that I know that I love and I don't own, I'll oftentimes go to Spotify or maybe cheat a little bit and go to YouTube and see if it's streaming there. Yeah,
0: yeah I still buy the physical copies of things that I I either have listened to already and mm-hmm. already know I love, or it's a band that is one of my favorites and I'm excited about a new release, so I'll pre-order the, the vinyl. If I buy physical music now, it's usually a vinyl, just because I feel like if I'm going to collect something... I have stacks of CDs from growing up that I haven't listened to in <laughs> in years because I have them all digitally now um, but the vinyls, I'll put the vinyls on still every once in a while.
1: Sure. And I think that's why we've seen such a big resurgence of vinyl in the last decade. Yeah. Um, people yeah. just like owning physical things. It's like selective hoarding. <laughs>
0: um, that's what uh, collecting anything is, honestly. It really
1: is. <laughs> and I'm, I'm that way about a few things. I don't get into vinyl particularly not because i don't like vinyl i think vinyl is wonderful i just know that it would be a very dangerous habit for me to get into it can get expensive and yes
0: <laughs> and vinyl takes up a lot of space it does and
1: i don't have near enough self-control to um get into that hobby yeah. at least not yet so see my
0: my habit's not uh not too out of control yet i think i have like one milk carton full of records and bad. i'm probably about to expand to a second soon that's pretty good. that's really not bad <laughs> yeah but i have boxes and boxes of cds up in my closet and i don't know what to do with them i don't want to get rid of them <laughs> i don't want to get a cd case and display them because
1: they're not worth uh, looking yeah.
0: at so i mean we've talked a little bit about uh books uh, finding new books and finding music and finding movies Television, oh man! With all the digital streaming services, we have a lifetime of TV in front of us and, and behind us. They're all all the old shows that I never got around to watching when it was on. I think I've recently watched Carnival on HBO, uh, which was actually pretty good. But how do you find how do you find TV and all in the masses? I mean, I find the Netflix ratings generally decent, but. I feel like there's a lot buried in Netflix that I would don't even know about, and I'm, it's not until I go searching and browsing through like everything they have that I'm like, oh, this is here.
1: Yeah, TV is kind of one of those things that I've probably, to yeah, yeah. my detriment, <laughs> that I've sort of given up on, and it's not because there's not good stuff that I enjoy on TV, but because there's so much of it, And it's so long. Like, spending some time trying to find an album or a book or a movie is one thing. Because, you know, an album will take you an hour to listen to, a movie a couple hours, and a book, you know, ten hours to read.
0: Yeah, and and most TV seasons now, you're looking at a 12-hour investment. For
1: one season. And then you have these shows that go on for six or seven seasons. Yeah. (laughs) And I just can't i can't make the time maybe when i'm retired i'll go back and i'll rewatch all this great tv that's been going on yeah
0: this summer hasn't been too bad Uh, i I feel like when the the i'm actually at a loss for for some shows to watch right now other than game of thrones and preacher i don't know what else to
1: well and it's funny because (laughs) i would actually love to watch the new season of twin peaks but that'll have to wait until it comes out on dvd (laughs) or blu-ray or something and then i'll pick it up and give that a watch
0: Yeah, now TV's coming back. Like, that's another thing that seems to be happening. It's like, the age of streaming video is responsible for the revival of so many shows. The only reason the X-Files got that extra season is so Fox could resell the X-Files' streaming rights at a higher cost. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) And I hear they're coming back with another season. (laughs) Twin Peaks, like you mentioned. Uh, Though I feel like that's something that... um, that uh, david lynch actually really wanted to do like that wouldn't have happened if david lynch wasn't
1: yeah. pushing it
0: from behind the scenes
1: exactly it took him a while to want to do it but once yeah. he wanted to do it he really wanted to do it so. and I've,
0: I've heard good things but uh, i haven't watched it yet so i might wait till the whole season's over and then you know figure it out
1: i want to marathon it just like yeah. a movie he hasn't <laughs> had a new movie in well over a decade at this mm-hmm. point um I'm just going to treat it like a big 10-hour movie or however long it is, and I'm just going to watch it all in a single sitting. And here I am complaining about not having enough time to do anything.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, this is the age of binge-watching television.
1: It is. Yeah. So I hear.
0: And I, I re-watch things that I've seen sometimes, and that's, you know, in retrospect, it's probably a waste of
1: time. But <laughs> I mean, you've you've got to do it every once in a yeah. while. I have that problem with movies and music and books. You know, I enjoy watching new movies and reading new books and listening to new albums, but I've got so many old favorites I need to go back and revisit.
0: So in this in this age of uh, basically infinite content, it does seem like there is still a need for gatekeepers, if only to find recommendations. And I, I know, like, historically, gatekeepers for, for movies and TV, you know, they were the producers. They were the people that were putting the money to actually make the thing. Like... Someone wouldn't get famous until they got that major backing. And now right. it's, it's a little different. Uh, gatekeepers may be normal people now, too, that you just really like their opinion. It's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting shift in how right. things are done.
1: And it's just happened because anyone can make something of mm-hmm. good to great quality now and put it online for anyone to read, watch, and mm-hmm. listen to.
0: There's almost t- t- too much choice, which is why I'll go back and rewatch old episodes of The Simpsons more often than trying to find something new. <laughs> like if I have nothing to watch on TV, I have my defaults that I will play right. again,
1: even though I've seen them a million times. Well, and that's just because it's exhausting to find yeah. new things. Like it's it's easy in some ways because there's so much of it, but it's so overwhelming.
0: <laughs> I think, um, and I, I see why. why it's really easy to kind of lose touch with, uh, with what the mainstream popular culture is sometimes, because I don't really know <laughs> what that is anymore. Um, I think popular culture used to be much more shared amongst everybody, and now it's a little more like there's so many niche, um, niche audiences and niche uh, filmmakers and musicians, and I, it's really easy to go down a hole and find the thing that you like and then have no basis of... <laughs> you may try to talk to someone else and they have no idea anything
1: that you know and you don't know anything they know. It's, do you think that's kind of splintering culture at all? Kind of yes and no. That used to be down to regional differences. So, you know, different regions would have different musical preferences. And in the 90s, there was a big East Coast versus West Coast hip-hop Thing going on, um, where it was two very different styles of hip hop, that were kind of battling one another in the '90s, and that's not a thing anymore. And
0: Um, you look at like all the grunge bands coming out of Seattle and you know the Pacific Northwest, and that's yeah, everything had its own style. Yeah, and you look at you know New York in the '60s, um, folk music, and
1: and how different like the folk music revival in New York was from the folk music revival. Like in the UK, Uh, they both happened at the same time, but very different music came out of both. Yeah, yeah.
0: So now it seems like everything is is a little more on an even playing field. Um, It doesn't matter where you're from. It just what matters is finding an audience. (laughs) And that's the hardest thing about everything today. And that's what I think
1: causes kind of the splintering is then you get these audiences um, who kind of glue on to certain works, and that's what they like, and they can kind of just ignore everything else. (laughs) So it is. It's a yes and a no thing, where in some ways, culture has become more homogenized, and other ways, um, like meme culture, I don't know what's going on with that.
0: (laughs) Internet Uh, culture is weird it is a weird
1: (laughs) very quickly changing place yeah um it's very amorphous and what's popular from year to year to year changes at the drop of a hat
0: well i mean that's uh this is uh this is what it is now welcome to the future it's only going to get worse from here (laughs) it's going to be hard there's going to be more and more uh content
1: and we haven't even touched on like games for example Steam, which is the biggest oh, digital gosh. seller of video games, has a library of over fifteen thousand games. How do you begin to sift through that? It's just as much of a nightmare as it is finding music or movies or anything. Every else. every
0: Steam sale I buy multiple games that I may never end up playing. <laughs> That's a
1: problem. I <laughs> my think...
0: personal library is growing and my time to play video games is not. Yeah. So. I think I
1: saw a stat somewhere that said like thirty four percent of uh, games and people's personal libraries never get played because they just buy them when they're on sale and they never have a chance to go and play them. Yeah.
0: Or I'll, I'll rebuy games that I loved when I was younger that yes. are maybe like re released on PC. Yep. And I'll never install it or I'll play like the first level and then I got my nostalgia fix and, yeah. and I know I have it if I ever want to go back to it. Yeah, and I know board games right now are going through a massive uh, industry shift because, I mean, for the longest time, when I would think of a board game, I would just think of, like, you know, Sorry and Monopoly and, you know, the Milton Bradley go-to's. But now there's new games coming out every month uh, people are kickstarting games and getting a huge backing for them
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, they'll have limited print runs and then you'll never be able to buy them again yep. there's incredibly complex rules <laughs> for I, some I love that stuff yeah <laughs> that's
1: that's my world i mean but there are there's thousands of board games that come out every year literally thousands of them and they're kind of getting into the digital world as well there's an excellent tool that you can buy on steam called tabletop simulator and it is exactly what it sounds like it's just a kind of open simulator for shuffling cards, dealing cards, rolling dice, moving pieces on a board, all of that sort of thing. And uh, people will just upload complete board and card games and role playing games into tabletop simulator. So then you can play thousands of games. I mean, it's a nice uh, that that's really cool and that's I'm assuming like
0: very social like you can play with it people. Is. Yep. Um Throw virtual reality into that mix, and I think it does have the future. (laughs) Like, like I can only imagine like being able to play really complex board games with people like hundreds of miles away, with them being like right in front of you.
1: And got um, a lot of what are called like print and play or print on demand uh, board games and card games, where you'll have these websites that have databases of you know tabletop games that you can either download for free and print off all the components and, you know, play it physically with other real people in your living room, or you can order it from that company and they will just produce all the pieces for you and the boards and the cards for you, they'll put it in a nice little box and ship it to you. And there's thousands of these things. So it's insane that, you know, a very analog, kind of old-school form of entertainment like board games has um really entered into the digital age in the same way that all these other formats that we've been talking about have
0: i think that's i mean it's great i think it 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 gives us a lot of opportunity for the future i mean just seeing how things are progressing but you know it's it's hard to be a a creator out there right now especially if you're just trying to break through and find your audience Mm -hmm. um have your audience find you like that's the hardest part because with as as universal as everything is right now how easy it is to to put something out there it's a lot harder for people to care <laughs> yeah <laughs> to care about what you put it's, out it's yeah. hard to
1: be a creator Yeah, it's hard to be a consumer
0: well i think that that's uh that's about all the time we have today um i thought that that was a uh, very interesting conversation i think that um It's going to have tremendous impact on the way libraries do things in the future. I mean, I can only imagine, like I said, trying to catalog, archive, um, deal with, build collections out of... uh, I mean, librarians in a way are gatekeepers as well. Um, Mm -hmm. We're building collections and we have to sort through everything that gets published and put out there and decide what to buy and what what we need in our collection. So it's particularly difficult for this position. Any, any final thoughts?
1: Good luck <laughs> with finding something on the internet that you enjoy. You know, if you have any tools that you like or critics that you like, let us know.
0: Yeah, yeah. We can get a conversation going. That'd be awesome. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you, and we'll see you next time.